Hi everyone, welcome back to MHTA The Podcast. I'm your host, Angela Awa, and today we are talking about caring and culture. Um, so I'm joined with a lovely, amazing guest today. Her name is Vicky. And just to introduce her, she's 30 years old. She's from Birmingham. Um, she now lives outside of Birmingham with her mum. And she's moved back home with her after being in Colchester for several years for work in the summer of 2019. Vicky began her journalism career at community magazines in Birmingham before ending up in Colchester where she worked as a news reporter at the Daily Gazette and other weekly titles in North Essex. She has reported on deaths of ex-offenders under probation, supervision, inequalities around deaf people accessing mental health care and racism in the UK deaf community. And she was also Black Ballard West Midland commission editor for its Black Women in Britain project. So welcome, Vicky. It's so amazing to have you today. Thank you so much. That was like a lovely intro and all correct as well. (laughs) (laughs) No No problem at all. Um, So I first came across Vicky when I was reading the Black Ballard magazine. I think it was actually your article which got me to subscribe. Um, And it was the first time that I had read another Black woman's encounter about caring and the effects that it has um, had on them. So I thought the first place we will start today is um, just asking about your caring experience and what it's been like for you. Definitely. Um, To be honest, it's been really up and down. And even when I was preparing to write that article and I kind of sat down in my bed and I was brainstorming and just reflecting on everything that I'd been through, it was really difficult, a little bit emotional because um, I think a lot of the time when you've been through things for so many years, part of your brain has just blocked certain things away so it's quite difficult to recall um, exactly what happened and then when you do recall some stuff you're thinking well like I've been through a lot really Mm -hmm. Um, for me the catalyst with my um, I say my caring responsibilities with my mom was predominantly when my dad left so my parents separated maybe when I was about six or seven it's quite yeah early on in primary school and from then my mum's health in it just all around it kind of went from emotional health and then obviously emotional has a knock-on effect to the physical um yeah. and over the years although there's been years where things have been better it's always been up and down and um yeah for me I was just very acutely aware of of health from a young age predominantly because of my mom and all the things that um she went through so those responsibilities for me continued not so much primary school primary school it was just more of an uh, an awareness that she wasn't okay yeah. um, and kind of having to be there as um, a confident really like she would speak to me about certain things that she was going through as a result of the breakup with my dad so I was very much involved in their situation and then I think as I got older is where the more of the the caring stepped into things um and she's had loads of different health episodes over the years so yeah now is probably the only time when I feel like actually we're okay at the moment there's not that much for me to have to deal with but definitely um in my teen years I'd say definitely all through secondary school like I was very much going through it wow so you you speak about caring for both mental and physical health how did that affect your yeah your teenage years oh god yeah that's that's a huge question um I I think 
well first of all it affected my own emotional well-being um right. as well as like my mum going through stuff we just had a very turbulent family there was a lot going on far too much mm-hmm. and it just forced you to grow up really really quickly so mm-hmm. that was one thing and, and as a child you're dealing with situations that are beyond you like you shouldn't have to mm-hmm. be thinking about the psychology and the dynamic of what's going on and and kind of trying to manage and mitigate everyone's feelings like you shouldn't have to do that as a child um and also I would say um with my mum's mental health and and kind of how she was feeling at the time you're trying to manage that so sometimes her reactions to things her behavior it it wasn't rational and you as a child and as a teenager you're trying to make sense of okay like why has she done that in response to that or why has my saying that you know brought about that response you're trying to make sense of it um and then definitely as I got older you realize okay like it's just not rational but at the time you're kind of thinking is it me um you know and then you're getting into arguments off the back of it as well so then it's it's going from one person's mental health issues to then conflict and then it's causing a situation between, you know, your relationship between, for me, me and my mom, um, another family member. So, yeah, it had quite a, a deep impact, I would say. Mm. Something you mentioned, which really um, struck a chord with me, and it's similar to my care and experiences. You mentioned that you had to grow up really quickly. And for me, I found that there was just some aspects of being a teen- teenager that I just missed out because I've had to, I had to mature. Um, And you also spoke about like mitigating everyone's feelings and trying to figure out everything that's that's happening around you, basically. Um, I kind of want to speak a bit more about culture and what part that had to play in your experience. Um, Do you find that culture played a role with your care and responsibilities or how you navigated family issues or anything like that? Yeah, it's difficult because I think I've been thinking a lot about this because at the time I probably wouldn't have put it down to culture. But now as a model, looking back in hindsight, yeah, I would say definitely. So, I mean, one of the reasons when I was going through certain things at home um, and I, I, you know, was wondering, like, am I getting depression? Like I would Google a lot um, mm. kind of, you know, you, you could do those like self-help checks to see if yeah. you've got depression and what are the symptoms and blah, blah, blah. I used to do that a lot couldn't quite figure it out and then when I'd get the results back it might say yeah you kind of are showing a little bit but because Mm. I was able to just kind of continue on with life and keep going it's like I never thought there was a bad enough problem for me Mm. to actually really go and seek support and then also I was always trying to protect my mum in terms of what she's going through and not wanting to talk her business Um, Mm -hmm. and that was part of the reason that I didn't really reach out to maybe some family members who were close enough that might have been able to help I didn't really tell them the extent of what was happening and how I was feeling because I wanted Mm -hmm. to protect my mom and I definitely think that pride thing definitely is like synonymous with with black culture we're very proud people Um, and I think we're not encouraged to have those kind of conversations definitely with certain generations of adults like my mom is in her early 60s so like my aunties and and other people um of of that nature are going to be of that age group and they're not the age that is really about opening up and talking about your feelings and Mm. and so on so I think that definitely um played a part 
And then I would say as well, just having that attitude of getting up and getting on with life. Yeah. Um, and it's unspoken. It's not like anyone has said that to me explicitly. Like, I oh, just pick yourself up and go on. Although my dad just definitely have that um, attitude and approach to his own life. It's just mm. more of an unspoken feeling that you just you just get on with it. Um, yeah. And I think because it never, like I said, it never um, stopped me from, you know, going to school. It didn't stop me from going to college. It didn't stop me, fortunately, from getting the qualifications and things that I did. Then mm-hmm. you're thinking, oh, well, you're all right because mm. you're here, aren't you? Like, so you just, you're okay. So yeah. I think that's probably the main way that culture played a part for me is just that culture of not talking <laughs> basically yeah I kind of want to go back a little bit so when was the first time you identified yourself as a carer and did that mean you had to break down different myths about speaking about your mum and about how you felt in regards to your life at, at whether it was whilst you were in school or upon leaving school and and work do you know what I'm I almost I'm inclined to say that I've only just recently mm. kind of called myself and, and very quietly like it's not something like if you notice at the beginning of our conversation I said I have caring responsibilities right yeah it's like I haven't even necessarily called myself a carer um mm. Yeah. I, okay. So for instance, recently, why I kind of came to that conclusion and was thinking to myself, no, actually, you you have a right to yourself to go and seek some support and, and not to feel embarrassed about it. Um, yeah. I went to the doctors just for like a general um, checkup. And for, for me, a lot of the caring with my mom now as I'm, I've gotten older is mixed in with her naturally aging um, mm-hmm. confusion and, and all of those things. And it's like this is a major wow. transition. For both of us really because she's getting older and she's obviously realizing that there's certain things that she used to be able to do quite easily that now she's struggling with and, and that has actually been the case for a couple of years like yeah. there's been I can think about some occasions for example when she'd be putting on like a pair of gloves and not being able to get the fingers into the right um, sockets let's call them and getting yeah. really confused about that not being able to put a coat on properly and then just getting really confused and like het up about it so you know for me this is aging like this is what's happening slowly and um Mm -hmm. I think it was last year at the start of so I went to the doctors had just my general blood test and I was looking at the boards behind me and there was a whole list of like um carers organizations locally and I took a picture of it and I've still got the picture on my phone I thought to myself do you know what I actually could do with talking to someone about how to deal with this transition because potentially there's going to be a lot that comes with it practically in terms of maybe even dealing with finances and legal things that I don't have any knowledge of yeah so that was when I thought yeah you know you you have to admit to yourself that you do a lot at home and if you're not doing it and your mum can't do it it doesn't get done like that's the reality of the situation so go and seek that support so so that was very I think uh, yeah that's very recent for me um Going back to when I was a teenager, I, I knew that I did more and I always knew about informal carers. It's not that I didn't have that information to hand, but right. I just don't think that I personally labelled myself in that, that way. But I knew that I did a lot. And 
mm-hmm. even people around me kind of um as I've grown up and I've gone to different workplaces or whatever when people speak to me about you know okay for instance I when I lived in Colchester I'd come home for the holidays and then people say oh what did you get up to and I tell them some things you realize very quickly that I do a lot for my mom yeah and people would make comments about it but do people put two and two together to think "Mm, does she uh, is she a carer or you know that's a bit more than usual for our age no one really put two and two together yeah um but yeah, I would say for me, for me, labelling myself in that way has come quite recently and I'm still uneasy about it. <laughs> and I'll be honest about that. Yeah, that's re- like very brave for you to say that because I find that when I identified as a carer eventually, and this was pretty much early in my 20s, it was just like, oh, this is such a weird thing to call myself because, um, so my parents, like, have, like people who have listened to the pod before are from Ghana, so we don't speak about caring like you mentioned you just do what you've got to do <laughs> there's no one that's going to say oh yeah you're a carer and because you're a carer you have these benefits or you have access to these things like there was no such thing as that so I I totally relate but I sometimes think about whether things would be different if we knew that we were doing too much so early on and maybe yeah. we wouldn't have been I don't want to say this word but I feel like this is the only way I can use we wouldn't have been robbed of certain things like obviously I'm I'm assuming you well everyone has regrets about things and stuff like that but I'm assuming that because you've been through what you've gone through like there's so many lessons you learned from it and perhaps you don't feel like you missed out on a lot because you was able to be there for your mother but I find that perhaps Mary maybe sorry perhaps maybe that that label would have helped a lot earlier on I yeah I I completely get you and I agree to be honest because yeah when like I said when I look back it's like oh my god you were as a child and as a young person you were you were a carer at that point Mm -hmm. and you were going through a lot of home um and just nobody noticed or no one pride enough to notice um Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think what I what I missed out on I think for mm. me, just emotionally, I, I spent a lot of time thinking about my own feelings, um, going through a lot of self-esteem issues, and then also getting older and, you know, my mom and my family situation constantly being on my mind. But yeah. realistically, there's probably nothing that I really could have and can do about it because there's only so much you can do um, mm. for an adult. But yeah it might have been nice definitely at that time to just have someone to speak to about it because none of my friends at the time um and some of my cousins who like we're as close as friends kind of thing mm-hmm. none of them were going through what I was so yeah. you can obviously gauge your your different friends family situations it's like nah you're not really going to be able to relate to what I'm talking about um I and I think they they only knew bits and bobs purely because for instance when let's say like when the when the turbulent times were happening I would often sleep at like my auntie's house for instance so Mm. my cousin it was like a running joke like if I turn up at the house in the evening with my school um uniform in my bag ready for the next day they were excited because it's like yay Vicky's come like we can (laughs) chill (laughs) so they're not looking at it like that um and then I used to do the, the same with another friend um 
as well and they're just glad to have you sleep over basically <laughs> but mm-hmm. no one's you know they, they can't necessarily relate to the bigger picture I think um and I imagine with a lot of young carers now and even kind of going into early to late 20s just a lot of opportunities to spot what people are going through are missed yeah. by a lot of different authorities a lot of different people in your life um, and yeah. it does make me think sometimes all you need to do is just ask a bit more questions and, and mm-hmm. even just a simple how are you yeah I totally agree well I mean like well based on the research that I've done I know that caring is a western thing (laughs) so Mm. even if um someone may have seen signs of that before they wouldn't have been able to know how to approach it because it's not something that is commonly seen as normal something that's just spoken about within the black community as much so I can definitely like you got support even though you didn't it wasn't official support if that makes sense yeah. Um, which kind of leads me on to the next question, which is what other support did you receive other than being able to stay over at a family friend's house? Oh, <laughs> there wasn't really a lot, to be honest. Like mm-hmm. at certain points in my life, I genuinely lost faith um, in the adults around me purely because, <clears throat> again, like I'm saying, situations like that, if I turn up at your, at your house and you're aware of certain things happening within the home I kind of was waiting for someone to just pluck me out of the situation right basically um and that never happened so when that doesn't happen it's like okay like I'm really just on my own then aren't I like I can't depend on any of you so yeah yeah, I, I, I don't I genuinely don't think and I can't recall me getting any external support really because I never told the doctor anything about what I was going through and it's funny because when I spoke to um, someone for the article that I did for Black Ballad, they had yeah. mentioned about how, you know, when a young person goes to the doctors with a family member and the young person perhaps is speaking about that person's medical history more than that individual is, yeah. alarm bells should start ringing for the professional mm-hmm. in the room. Like, what, like, what is that dynamic? And that was basically yeah. mine <laughs> for a long time. I knew my mum's medical history like the back of my hand. I'd go to a doctor's appointment if we had emergency services at the house, you know, it was only tended to be me that was there. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I really don't think I did. I relied a lot on my journals. Like they were my lifeline, I would say. Wow. Definitely. And wow. even now, so even like I mentioned earlier about, I took the picture in the, um, the doctor surgery with yeah. the care organization. Still haven't contacted them. But mm. at least I think I'm not ashamed or, or embarrassed to contact them. I just haven't because I feel okay right now. Yeah. Um, but I think it was a year before then in 2019, that was when I said to myself, Do you know what, I'm actually really stressed. And it was partly because of the responsibilities at home once I moved back to Birmingham, or mm. rather the West Midlands, <laughs> that's where I used to live. Um, so partly those responsibilities, partly just work and life was really stressing me as well. So combined, I was just getting a bit depressed and other people were starting to notice it from things yeah. that I was saying. So mm-hmm. that was the point where I thought, you know what? Yeah, I do do a lot at home and yes, it gets to me. And I could just do with talking to people who get it about it. Mm. Well, you mentioned about journaling. I kind of want to pick up on that because 
So what we do at Mental Health the Arts is a lot around creating creative coping mechanisms to use for, well, for young people to use when they're going through challenging times. And I guess I want to ask you, what was the power that you gained through journaling? Like you mentioned it almost being like your lifeline. Like what was it about it that made you continue even through your toughest of times? For me, it was just, okay, so partly, um, as I mentioned, there was a lot going on at home and that journal was partly me documenting it because Mm. I was trying to make, I literally was trying to make sense of what was going on. And some of the situations, if I had told somebody what happened from A to B, they would be like, that sounds like madness. And, Mm. And also there were situations where the truth was being twisted and I wasn't necessarily being believed. So part of me doing that journal was literally me narrating my own daily life. I, I used mm. to write it religiously sometimes, several times a day. Um, and the other part of it, yeah, was just that, it's weird, isn't it? Someone to talk to, you're talking to yourself. Yeah. But it's just being able to process um, what I was feeling. And I've, I've got loads of them still upstairs. I don't write them as regularly as I used to. And it's annoying actually, because now when I do look, it's like, oh, there's like months missing. <laughs> you know, I've got so many <laughs> gaps now. Yeah. But I suppose the need to write in it isn't there as much now, but definitely then, yeah, so powerful. And I needed it. And I don't know where I really got that habit from either. Like my mom used to do, probably my mom, because she did use a journal and she oh. had a couple of really cute poetry books from when she was a teenager. And she had this really lovely writing with the fountain pen and she used to do little doodles yeah. or flowers around it. And I, I was trying to copy that but I don't have that talent it didn't look like that (laughs) but it just became my own little thing yeah Yeah. have you just off the whole journaling have you ever gone back to read any of them and seen any patterns in like your behavior or your feelings or anything like that definitely like I I know some people might find that counterintuitive like why are you reading back at your own self or at your old self rather but no, I found it really helpful. And I have, I've seen loads of patterns and mm. things that when I was, let's say, 15 and 16 writing in there, I can remember being like, I don't, um, I'm, I'm almost scared that these things that I'm seeing in myself are going to continue it until my 20s and I'm not going to be able to fix them. Lo and behold, get to my 20s, certain things are still continuing. Um, mm. And that's when I went to get therapy because it's like, okay, clearly you've kind of taken yourself as far as you can. So it's yeah. time to get a third person um, or rather, yeah, a third party involved in it. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I do. I do look back at them. And I just think sometimes as well, it's you have to remind yourself of how far you've come. Definitely. That's really important. I, I don't see it as a negative thing to read back kind of, bad memories for some part Mm. or challenging times I just see it as wow you've come a really long way now and I almost don't recognize that person you've come so far but also like you said you're always still looking out for the little patterns because you've always got things to improve Mm. I was going to say I've definitely learned something even just from that because so I started journaling at university my friend introduced me to it Um, and I've tried looking back at them but I'm just like I can't so I've, I've looked at a couple of like letters I've written to myself or just written to God I'm like oh gosh this is too depressing for me 
And I kind of think that if I had looked at them from a different perspective and thought, actually, look at where you started and look at where you are now, it would have made such a big difference in my healing process. Because yeah. I find that like there's lots of patterns that I've had, um, not only just from caring and stuff like that, but how I've coped emotionally that I, I've kept on doing. And I find it really frustrating that I keep, that's my only way of coping because I'm so used to it. So I find that if maybe if I had looked at them, it would have helped me access therapy much earlier on, or I would have just been able to like find the spots where, okay, how do you deal with, like look at them, look at those letters and think about, okay, how do I deal with my toughest of times and then try and figure out another way, basically. Um, And then also I've looked at like the journals I've written, the books, I've kind of just, like I said, I've just shut them and put them in a box somewhere and said, maybe one day (laughs) I'll open them. But for now, I'm just not ready. But I think that's fine. That, yeah that that is fine if, if you're not ready as well and I mean I will say so it took me years to um really go to therapy partly it's because it's so expensive mm. so I couldn't do it until I had a, a decent wage and I started in Birmingham and then when I moved to culture so I, I think I had a probably at least a year maybe two years break and then started with a new lady um, yeah but even when I was in Birmingham and then I continued to practice I was reading my journals with them, which was so hard to do. Mm. So, so difficult. But it's like these pages probably describe me better than what I can articulate. So it's best that we just read them. If if you want to know the dynamic of my family, the responsibilities that I had, um, you know, where my self-esteem developed from, we have to read these. And um, it got easier, but god it was yeah it was so challenging I mean therapy is challenging anyway the first day that I went there I can just remember thinking oh she's probably thinking that why is she here like you're fine you don't need to be here and I just had so much judgment in my head it was unbearable Mm. wow that's so powerful to take like something so raw to you and and share it with a therapist like yeah that's I'm Honestly, that's so brave of you. I couldn't <laughs> imagine like like doing that. But obviously, like having said that, if anybody was listening to this and they wanted to do that, that like let me not discourage you <laughs> because like <laughs> that could definitely be the start of your healing process, like sharing that with somebody else and and getting help for that. Um, I want to talk a bit about like caring and if it's affected your identity and how you see yourself and you mentioned something earlier which was about like not fully calling yourself a carer but saying you have caring responsibilities and I wonder if that has played a part on how you see yourself yeah it's okay so why I do that is because I'm still I'm still I think comparing my situation to someone who is looking after family members say full-time um it's a real like toll on them daily um and I think for me especially like I said now things are have steadied out a little bit you know my mum is able to look after herself in terms of her personal hygiene she cooks um for herself yeah but it's the I think I try to look at being a carer through the lens of am I doing Am I doing things for her that she can't do for herself? And also the mental energy 
am I spending more time thinking about her needs than what I should really be doing as a 30 year old um, daughter and and that's how I've tried to frame it and I kind of compare I compare the dynamic with my mom with my dad and my dad is very much I'm not involved in his health whatsoever apart from just generally being involved as a daughter but I don't need to worry about him in that sense whereas my mom it's always been a worry it's almost she's almost like my child Mm. that that's that's a dynamic for me um so yeah I, I don't call myself an informal carer only because I'm still comparing myself to people who really are looking after people with needs on the very severe end of things um I think when there's been situations where my mum has been in hospital um as I I wrote in my Black Battered article and she was fine with it you know she has had cancer she has epilepsy at the moment so she's gone through really bad stages and of course in that time yeah I am your carer because I'm the only one here all the time with you yeah but at the moment, I'm just thinking, yeah, care and responsibilities probably fit your situation better. Mm. That's so interesting because this is something I've been battling with over the past week. And um, because I've, well, since I've known that I'm, I've been a carer and kind of identified myself as a carer, I've kind of wondered whether it's affected how I see myself and just my identity in general. And for me, I think, once I identified as it and said, okay, I'm a carer, I held onto it too tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that like nobody can take, nobody can take this label away from me. And why I think it was, well, why I think I'm battling with it now is because, so I've made a decision um, to move away from home, which means that my care and responsibilities has altered, not drastically, but slightly. Yeah. Um, and I find that like, because of that I'm like oh okay there was this period of time when I was caring and I could identify as a carer but I'm not in that same position and it's nowhere near as severe as it was before so actually perhaps it's changed and it's okay and it's like for me accepting that it's changed and there's so much more to me than caring because a lot of people just know me as a carer as in like the, the world if you want to call it that just know me as a carer and now I'm just like well there's actually so much more to me than that so now it's almost time for me to reintroduce myself as something else because I've allowed this period of time to affect how I see myself and how I show a case myself to the world yeah that yeah. makes complete sense and and it just kind of remind me of one of the interviews that I had for the Black Ballad article and it, she said it was so crucial for carers to carve out that separate identity because mm-hmm. like in your situation if the responsibilities change and or if circumstances change then you need you still need to be rooted in kind of a sense of who you are mm-hmm. um yeah so but I I don't think I've necessarily I don't think I've necessarily gone through that or maybe I've just not thought about it mm. um I think where my so when I made the decision to move back home from Colchester I kind of did so knowing okay you're gonna have to step into some real adult shoes I, I think I've, like I said I've always had a lot of responsibilities yeah. but this was almost like welcoming another chapter to that mm-hmm. and I suppose stepping into womanhood too mm-hmm. um so yeah I came back kind of knowing that part of my identity was going to be 
I am looking after my mom like I am purposely stepping into a role that I'd maybe have wanted other siblings to to assist with or whatever but that's not the situation and so it's on you um Mm -hmm. and I think moving forward as well like I do think about you know I kind of at some point want my own family not not necessarily my own children but definitely a partner and to live together and so on and my mom is very much part of my package yeah yeah and that's something that I'm fine with and it's quite weird actually even when I was a lot younger I always used to joke about yeah mom when you're old don't worry you're gonna come and live with me and I'll build your granny mm-hmm. annex you'll have your little corridor and then you can come to the main house so it's <laughs> always been in my mind so for me it's it's fine it is what it is but then I don't know how other people might respond to that because it's not like I'm in my 40s I'm 31 in August mm. still pretty young but yeah, yeah someone would have to be down with the fact that mommy's coming with so you just have to get used to it <laughs> that's so interesting like I keep saying that's so interesting because every time you're speaking I'm like shaking my head like okay yeah this is I feel like we're going through similar um, <laughs> yeah. situations, which is so like, yeah, it's just, I think it's, it's more empowering more than anything, hearing someone go through similar decision-making, um, thinking about the same things, basically. You yeah. mentioned about womanhood, and I kind of want to, you mentioned like leaving Colchester, going back to, to Birmingham and, and stepping into, ad, you, you said adult shoes, and um, almost transitioning into womanhood so do you find that caring has affected your womanhood or femininity in any way I don't think it ha- I, I don't think it has in a negative way if anything I mean I've always been a very caring person I've always enjoyed looking after people and I, and I think that's a beautiful quality as a woman to have so if anything yeah. it's probably benefited that in a way like um you know, I am that woman that's going to look after the house and, you know, um, any children around me are going to be very well taken care of. Like, that, that's the woman I'm, I'm trying to be. Yeah. So I think it's probably had more of a positive effect, I would say. Mm. Um, but at the same time, I do think I take, on, I take on a lot. I've always been very independent and I take on a lot. And there is a part of growing up that you also have to say to yourself, you don't have to do it all by yourself mm-hmm. you, yeah. you, you can because even like for instance um this is a small example but just at the weekend I was talking to my cousins about our back garden it needs like a complete landscape gardener yeah. to sort it out and um I was talking about it obviously that's an expensive option so it's like it's not happening now um and one of my cousins was saying oh we'll all like come over send me a picture yeah yeah we can do that we can help with that and I'm just like, yeah, but you guys aren't going to do it like I want it done. So and I, I was like, I'm turning down the help. She's saying that three of us yeah. are going to come down and help you with the garden. And I'm just, nah, no, nah, because you're not, you're not going to do it how I want it. So part of it is me relinquishing um, control as well. But yeah. yeah, definitely being able to accept the help and yeah, not, not always carrying everything on my shoulders. I'm starting to to shed that definitely um where I can anyway but I think it's just an ongoing issue as a black woman I would say you're just independent and strong like that's just who we are yeah I think sometimes too strong (laughs) 
yeah definitely down on our knees and still be carrying the burdens of our world of, of the world on our shoulders because we're so that's because that's what we do <laughs> yeah for that's, sure but I definitely uh, understand um sorry I definitely understand what you mean about like refusing help and wanting things to be done the way you want it to be done as well and, and I find that possibly when the time comes when you you have a partner and stuff like that because I'm in a similar situation you then have to like you said like literally let go of things and just allow your life to run its course according to how you want it to run and not always thinking about not always receiving the help that you need also because I mean we don't want to be in our late phase early 40s and and we're sick because of it and it's so easy to find yourself in that position especially when you've been caring for a loved one who's gone through a tough time and and whatnot so yeah I I, I also agree with that definitely don't want to be in that position like sometimes Mm. I wonder to myself like how are you still going like I don't Mm. get you know I shouldn't I'm not wishing illness on myself but I just think you don't even catch a cold like you don't even one day wake up and just say do you know what I feel run down today like I still go and I'm pretty sure there's only so long that will last for Mm -hmm. so I have to be mindful of that um on a personal level um but and as well like I know let's say in the last two years for instance I had a few people say to me like you know it sounds like your mom may need some adult social care support yeah um but then it's a difficult conversation to have because at the same time I don't want my mom to completely I still want her to feel like she can do things for herself because that's important for your mental health as well um and then you know I think again kind of compare situations and sometimes she's all right and you think well she wouldn't need someone else here Mm. but that's life though isn't it like health does fluctuate as well and um I think I am learning actually just for instance if you did try and get um social care support you might only have it for a short period of time and then when that period's up and you right. don't need it I think you are fi- well obviously you're fine to say like I don't need it anymore it doesn't mean that you're stuck with it um yeah for all of you know all of the time so yeah we'll we'll get there I think yeah. even having this conversation it's difficult because I just think oh am I Am I over-exaggerating my responsibilities? No, you're not. <laughs> not at all. Yeah, it's a, it's a constant in, in my mind. Constant. Mm, no, your experiences um, are very valid. And I mean, I've been able to relate so much to a lot of things that you said. So don't ever feel like you have to question it because, yeah, it's your life. Yeah. <laughs> and it's happened to you. So, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, what advice would you give to a black young woman who is a carer? I kind of say young black woman, but a young black person mm. who, is, who is caring. I would say to not be deterred or think too much about the label of I am a carer. Mm-hmm. Do, I, I would just ask yourself, are you doing more for whoever that relative is than what your friends are doing for the same person? And if you are, and if you spend a lot of time having to think about it, um, plan around it, for instance, and, and you're planning your life around these responsibilities, then seek out that support. Because as well, a lot of what I'm learning now in terms of health inequalities, carers 
have a lot against them and that's purely because you're putting so much focus into someone else's health and well-being of course you're going to put your own to the back burner and Mm -hmm. you're probably not going to see the doctor as often or if something's wrong with you you're just not going to be as quick to fix it so Yeah. yeah it's important that just even make your doctor aware of it it doesn't mean that you have to start claiming carer's allowance and go into various groups and meetings, but just make someone aware that you're doing more than what you should. Mm. I think it's just super important. Um, And I would also say just to people in their families, especially black families, just don't be nervous of asking questions. If something doesn't Mm. sound right to you, ask the question. And be nosy, because I just think we have this culture of not being nosy. No one's in anyone's business, but sometimes you need to be in someone's business. (laughs) They they need you to ask the questions because they're not necessarily going to reach out to you themselves. They're waiting for someone to initiate that conversation for them to feel like, oh, I can finally let this go, especially as a young person. Like no one doesn't want to hold on to all of that responsibility and burden. Yeah. I actually had a question. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> it. it was something that you said earlier. Um, and I'm, I'm really curious when you mentioned that you had moved away um, mm-hmm. recently. I'm just wondering, like, how did you feel about doing that? Oh, gosh, it took me months, probably. Yeah, it took me months to even address it. <laughs> um I'm laughing about it, but it's really a nervous laugh. It was really difficult <laughs> and challenging. <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing, but it was really challenging. Um, I had lots of anxieties about what m- my mum's life would be like once I'd left. Yeah. And um, obviously being eldest, I felt like for me, it was like I was carrying everybody on my shoulder pretty much. Um, so it didn't really hit me until I actually moved. And in the first week, I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> like, I was so scared. I was in, like, I was so scared that I had to speak to one of my friends and tell them that, like, I feel like this. I feel so anxious. I don't know what's going to happen. And it was that constant worry. Yeah. But then I would call my mom and she'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. And then that kind of, like, helped ease the anxiety that I was feeling. But the transition was hard. I'm proud of you for doing it because I, I can oh. sense like how <laughs> difficult it was. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's not like a day doesn't go by that I don't think about how she is and stuff like that. I'm just learning that, okay, she's living her life over there. She's okay. And, it's okay, and now I'm allowed to live my life how I would have wanted to live it, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, so basically I'm trying to think of what else I want to say no it it, it just reminds me of like when I um when I moved away like I've lived in a few different places just uni and then kind of you're going back and forth um and it is such a a weight lifted when when you're not there but then at the same time mentally you're still like you said you're still contemplating that person's needs and then Mm the guilt kind of seeps in for you not being there to support other people as well so it's a lot but um it's necessary like especially because we we are young yeah one thing I will say that I learned about which is crazy is boundaries now I'm like there's just this big boundary that's been built because I've moved out it's just like okay I have my own space now 
and I don't feel like I can I feel like I can look after like I said I can look after my mental well-being I can concentrate on my therapy I can do the projects that I enjoy it's like you mentioned the weight that massive weight being lifted off your shoulders it's like oh wow I've never felt like this in like <laughs> 10 years <laughs> It's like a new world. <laughs> Honestly, it is. Um, yeah, but I'm still journeying through it. I can't say that I'm 100% like, oh, she's fine. She can get on with it and stuff. There's still moments where I'm like, oh, perhaps she still needs me. And I do think about what would happen if I ended up going back home. But I just know that's never happening. Mm. So I need to <laughs> I need to just grow up pretty much. Um, I love that you said yeah. that to yourself. Like that is not happening. It's not an option at all. Thank you for joining us today, listening to our conversation about culture and care. It was amazing having you, Vicky, on our podcast today. If you'd like to leave a review, we'd be more than happy to hear from you. And again, I'll leave Vicky's um, socials down below. And if you want to get in contact with us, our Twitter and Instagram is mhta underscore ldn.org. And our website is www.mhta-ldn.org. Speak to you soon.